know, Johnny, what I thought about on that last line when he said, as Christ was resurrected, so will we be? I thought about Pam. I thought about Pam, whose life we celebrated just yesterday. That's the hope we have, isn't it? Jesus was raised. We're going to be raised. We're going to be raised. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11? Let's see what we can get into there today. 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read the first 11 verses together. 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to see a change in Solomon's life right here. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for, they, for surely they will turn, you away, turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear this kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, how prone our hearts are to wonder. How prone we are to compare ourselves with all of the luxuries and leisures that seem to be in this world and wonder why we don't have more and wish and long for that which you have forbidden. And Father, I pray this morning that you would take and confront these corrupted desires of our heart and bring them into alignment with what you treasure, with what you delight in, that which actually leads to the flourishing of your people. I pray, Father, that today, that some would be delivered. I pray that today some would bring the sins that they have planned back into the shadows of the cross. That, Father, they might see the seriousness of it there and at the same time find deliverance from it. I pray that you would sharpen the hearts and senses of your people to be even more in tune with your own heartbeat. We ask these things now in the name of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, I got a phone call from a lady 
And it really took me by surprise. She called uh, because she wanted me to check on her husband. And she said something along these lines. He just doesn't understand. I've tried to tell him that it's not him, and I need you to tell him that it's not him. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's never treated me poorly. He's a, been a, a devoted husband. He's been a wonderful father. I've just fallen out of love with him. I've just fallen out of love with him. And I need you to help him to understand that it's not something that he's done, and it's not something that could have been prevented. It just happened. I have fallen out of love, and it just jarred me. Because you wonder. You've probably heard this said before. How does that happen? How does that happen? Someone with whom you were so in love, with whom you had committed in covenant together before God to, through sickness and health and adversity and in, uh, and in prosperity, for better or for worse. We're in this together. We're going to press on going forward all the time with one another for the rest of our lives. That there's this level of commitment, this level of passion, this, this level of love that seemed to be insatiable and unbreakable. To ultimately get to a place where you say, I'm just, no really explanation, I've just fallen out of love. I wonder though, how many of you this morning would describe your relationship with Christ in very similar words? That there was a time in your life in which your heart was red hot for the Lord and you were committed to him. And, and when you said, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus, all of my heart, for the rest of my life, you meant it and you were sincere. But over time, the passion has waned. The zeal has lessened. The love has seemed to be diluted. And maybe this morning you're even at the place where you kind of just want to look to Jesus and say, it's not you, it's me. I think that's where we see Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. That we really have an unexpected twist. If you're reading 1 Kings, it, 1 Kings chapter 11 jars you like that phone call that I received all those years ago. Everything about Solomon had seemed to be commendable up into this point. Maybe there were little innuendos here, little hints there. But for the most part, the, the writers have, the, the author of 1 Kings has this incredibly positive view. And you look into 2 Chronicles, it's the same thing happening. Solomon is really being portrayed in this incredibly positive light. And then you get to 1 Kings chapter 11, and that cycle ends. And it's jarring to read what you don't expect to read. But I think that's the nature of falling out of love. Is it surprising? It's jarring. And so we have in 1 Kings chapter 11, essentially Solomon looking to the covenant God, the Almighty of Israel, and saying, maybe we should just be roommates. Maybe we should just try to coexist, and I'll give you a little attention here and there, but you can't have my whole heart. Anymore, And I think we should go to Solomon with the same question that we have about all of those other folks. How is it that you can fall out of love? I think that's what we see in 1 Kings chapter 11 and Solomon's apostasy. First, I want you to see that the way that you fall out of love is to compare yourself with others. To compare yourself 
with others. Josiah, a few weeks ago, my, my two-year-old son, he was out in the yard, and Megan and I, we were kind of doing some, some cleaning of the basement, some spring cleaning kind of stuff, and he's out in the yard, and he's got his little plastic golf clubs. You guys have seen this, right? Little Fisher Price. And man, he's just out there just hacking away. I mean, he obviously got his golf swing from me. You know what I'm saying? And he's out there, and he's having fun, and he's just, I mean, just could, life couldn't be any better, you know? Well, we'll get a little bit of break. Old man's got to show him what's up, you know? I mean, I, I want to impress my son, show him I know a little thing or two about golf. And so I go in, and I get my, my sand wedge, and I'm out there, and I'm chipping away, and I'm, I'm kind of showing him and trying to impress my boy. I know he's two years old, but I want him to be proud of his pop, you know? And, uh, and I'm out there, and, and I'm chipping away, and, I'm, and the funny thing happens. Because you can see the little wheels in his head turning. He throws down his little plastic golf club, and he wants mine. Now, he wants mine. Now, until he saw what I had, perfectly content, loved what he had, pumped, fired up about the Blue Fisher Prize plastic uh, sand wedge. He all of a sudden, he sees that, that Titleist sand wedge come out. Dad's is better. Isn't it funny? It's human nature, isn't it? That we see it in the earliest stages that I'm happy with what I have until I see something that someone else has that looks better that might make me a little bit happier than I am right now. And the thing is, is it doesn't get better with age, does it? Oh, goodness gracious, no. It gets worse usually with age. That you're happy maybe in the early days of your marriage, but then someone else's marriage looks happier than yours. And so you begin to want what they have. You begin to wonder how that person is able to afford that thing. That doesn't seem fair. You wonder why that guy got the promotion over you. Your life becomes a series of comparisons and you rate your worth, your value, your identity, your success and failure rate by how well you stack up against all the other people that are in your circle. All the other people that are your friend on Facebook and that you're following on Instagram. I think that's what we see in Solomon's heart here. That as Solomon begins to fall away from the Lord, it, it begins by his comparison with other people. You see, what we see with Solomon is that he wanted more. He wanted, he wanted more. The, the tension of the text is clear as day right out of the gate. You can see it in the first three verses. Look at verse 1 and then verse 3 and what it says about what Solomon desires. It says, now, King Solomon loved. Now, this is a word of desire. This is a word of physical and sexual attraction. This is a word that, of a desire that is internal, that is to be expressed externally. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And I think you see even there, some people wonder if polygamy is approved of in the scripture. See that this is along with the daughter of Pharaoh. This is not what's expected of Solomon. This is not what is desired. This is an aberration. This is a sin in Solomon's life. Polygamy may be described in the Bible, but it is never justified or prescribed in the Bible. So along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, or Sidian, and Hittite women. All right, now look at verse 3. and It kind of bookends it right here again with his desire. He had 700 wives who were princesses, that is, of royal birth, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his 
heart. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. I'm sorry, look just before that, what I'm looking for. He says, Solomon clung to these in love. So there's the connection between that word, but these clung. The net trans- so this is the exact same word that you see in Genesis chapter 2. When Adam, when, when Adam leaves the mother and the father and clings to his wife. So within that is this idea of attraction. Within that is this idea of being drawn together of a desire that is intended to be realized within his wife, okay? But the way the net translates, I think, really gets to the sense of what the author is trying to describe in Solomon's life here. Is that this was something that he irresistibly desired. Something that was an insatiable appetite in his life. Something that was an obsessive thought of his mind. Now, here's the tension. Look back at verse 2. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said. The Lord had said. Now this gets back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their God. So if you go, I've got it down here at the bottom. And you look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, that passage I read at the beginning of the service, what you have is what God expected of his kings as they ruled over his people. And God wanted his kings to, be, to stand out from all of the other people of the world. And he wanted them to live and to rule by his word. And so by ruling by his word, they would stand out and receive his blessing among all the other nations of the earth. And so within that, he gives clear prohibitions that were different than what the experiences of the other kings would be, that you should not have many wives, you should not have foreign wives, and the reason is, is that it's going to turn your heart away from me. So what do we see the tension here? Solomon has an irresistible desire, but God has a clear boundary. Solomon has an irresistible desire, but God has a clear boundary. It's the kind of tension that it's like immovable object, unstoppable force kind of tension that we have right here in the text. Now, why is it that Solomon has this desire? Solomon has everything that any of us could ever dream of having. As a matter of fact, if you go back to just one chapter, to chapter 10, it talks about all of the wealth of Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon and the fame of Solomon and how his reputation preceded him. It, it talks about how he was more prosperous than all of the other kings. And in fact, in fact, for Solomon, the queen of Sheba has just come because he is, his uh, wisdom is so renowned, she just wants to come and hear the guy talk. She just wants to hear the guy say something. Just give me some wisdom. That the Lord has uniquely blessed him and prospered him unlike any king in all of the earth. But you know what Solomon has in the back of his mind? I could be happier than I am. I could have a little bit more than what I have. Maybe Solomon even has in his mind, I am a wise king and I am a good king and I have been an effective king and I have ruled... I deserve more than what I have. See, what we see in Solomon is something that you need to be aware of in your life. Is that all of us have corrupted desires. All of us, because of the influence of sin and because of the curse upon this earth and the futile groanings of this earth, Romans chapter 8, because of these futile groanings, you and I want and desire what we ought not want and desire. You and I are attracted to what we ought not be attracted to. 
You and I are drawn to that, which can ultimately lead to our demise and to our destruction. That we have in our hearts an inclination, a bent that is desiring that which the Lord has clearly forbidden. And that's what we see in Solomon here. Solomon has an irresistible desire. God has a clear boundary. And the question becomes, is who's the one that you trust? Who's the one that you trust? Do you trust what you see and what you think and what your opinions are? Do you trust what your desires and your feelings and your affections are saying? Do you trust that there is a path to happiness and flourishing and joy and contentment and satisfaction that you can blaze by your own wisdom and by your own ways that is different from the Lord? Or do you trust that the Lord may know you better than you know you? And brothers and sisters, this speaks to so much of what we have in our society right now going on. Why is it that consumer debt is compounding at an unfathomable rate? We keep sliding that card because we think if I just have more, if I just satisfy this desire, there's more happiness that's out there for me. Same-sex attraction. What's the lie that it tells you? That if I just act on these thoughts, if I just act on these expressions, if I just act on this attraction, that there is something out there that is forbidden for me, that if I can just have it, my life will be more satisfying, more pleasing. Addiction, what does it say to you? If you'll just come back one more time, if you'll just keep submitting to me, I'll, make, I'll give you peace where you don't have any. I'll make you at ease when you're never at ease. I'll release you from all of the anxious struggles that you have. I'll I'll wake you up so that you can be a better man or a better mom. Disordered desires in a disordered age that contradict the clear boundaries of the Lord. And if you find in your own spirit this morning an irresistible desire and conflict with a clear boundary from God, the question facing you is the same one facing Solomon. Whom will you trust? Whom will you trust? Who actually knows the path forward for human flourishing? You or the Lord? Who actually knows the way to true and abiding joy? You or the Lord? Whom will you trust this morning? May it be different than who you trusted last night. Or last week. Solomon wants more when he sees what everybody else has. And Solomon didn't just want more. Solomon sought what was normal. There's more to the story with Solomon. And his pursuit of all of the women and all of the concubines. Than there is just with physical attraction. Certainly I think that's an element here. And I think we would be. Uh, I think we would be unfaithful to what happens in Solomon's life if we diminish the role of sexual attraction in Solomon's life. But that's not all that's here. See, there, there were other reasons for Solomon to want the extra wives and to have the harem full. For one thing, it was an established means by displaying your prosperity for the other nations to see. It was one of the ways that you were to show yourself that you were incomparable to all of the other kings. That your harem was greater than all the other kings' harems. But further than that, not only was it the result. Notice who he marries. He marries a Moabite, an Ammonite, an an Edomite, a Sidonite, a Sidian, and a Hittite. Now, who are those people? Those are the exact people laid out in Deuteronomy as the enemies of the Lord. 
as the enemies of the Lord, as those who can bring difficulty upon God's people, as those from whom God himself is delivering his people. Now, why would that be highlighted? Solomon is marrying his enemies out of a desire for political expediency. That is, he's wanting to have allies, not enemies. He's wanting to go through the means of men and nations and rulers to have the kind of peace that God himself has promised to his people. The kind of prosperity that God has promised to his people. Solomon is seeking to do it the normal way. Do you see this? That God had said to Solomon, I want you to rule my people with my word. I want you to lead my people through my law. I want my people to be characterized by their relationships with me. I want to set you apart different than all the other kings and different than all the other nations. But Solomon looked back to the Lord and he said, I don't want to be different than all the other kings. And I don't want my people to be different than all the other people. I just want to win the comparison with them. I just prefer to be normal, thank you. My goodness, is that a word for us today? My goodness, is that a word for us today? I bet the leading reason that we step over the boundaries that God has established in our lives and the, the, the standards that God has placed upon his people and the invitation that God, through the new covenant, has through the law of Christ, called us to be set apart as light and salt in a dark and decaying generation is that the goal in our life has not been to please God. The goal in our life is to be happy by winning the comparison game with those who are in our lives, with those who are observers. That Jesus comes and he says, what I want for my people is that you would be meek amidst an arrogant generation. That you would be holy amidst a depraved generation. That you would be generous among a greedy generation. That you would be sacrificial in the midst of a self-centered generation. That you might stand apart. That you would not construct a cardboard mansion in the here and now and forsake an eternal kingdom that has been offered to you. And what do we say? Nah, I'd just like to be normal, thank you. I'd prefer just to be like everybody else. I'd prefer my family to be normal. I'd prefer my marriage to be normal. I'd prefer my my lifestyle to be normal. Sure, I'll give you Sundays if that's what you need at least twice a month. but, But everything else in my life, I want it to be normal. Brothers and sisters, have we ever stopped to ask whether or not normal is working? Have we ever stopped to ask whether or not normal is working? I know that everybody looks happy on Facebook, and I know that everybody looks together on Instagram, but I'm telling you, behind the walls of those houses and behind the screens on those computers are a lot of miserable people. A lot of people trying to win the comparison game with you and both of you are competing with one another in a contest that nobody wins. God has come to us through Christ to call us away from the cardboard mansions of our culture and our society to a kingdom that is everlasting. That we might stand apart, not just through action, but through internal abiding in Christ. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A contentment, whether I abound or whether I have been brought low, it comes to bear in my life. 
oh goodness, there is, there is good news in the gospel if you will forsake the comparison game. That's what we see in Solomon. So how do we fall out of love? You compare yourself with others. And then slowly redirect your heart. The, the thing about falling out of love is nobody expects to do it. Nobody expects to do it. If you talk to someone, and like my friend I mentioned earlier, and what they'll tell you is, I don't really know when it happened. I don't even really know how it happened. I just know that one day I woke up, I just didn't feel the same way. I just wasn't as committed as I once was. I wasn't as excited as I once was. That I think what we need to understand is that to fall out of love is not something that happens suddenly but gradually. Something that happens slowly, over, over time, over many... It's, it's like, you probably heard the illustration before of, of boiling a frog. That if, that if you put the frog in the, in the pot and in the, it's room temperature, and then you slowly increase the, the temperature, eventually the, the pot's boiling, the frog's laid back, legs propped up, thinking it's in a sauna, when really it's boiling to death. And I think that's what happens. For a lot of couples, that's not that they all of a sudden made a decision to not love one another. It's inches, inches, an inch a day over year after year after year. And then one day they wake up and they're miles apart from one another. They're miles apart. And they realize that they really don't know each other. They realize that, that they really uh, aren't, aren't as passionate about one another as they once were, aren't committed to one another as they once were. And of course, that's a corrupt understanding of love, but it is the description that so many people understand in their lives. I think this is what we see in Solomon. I think this is exactly what we see in Solomon. So if you look at verse 4, there's a phrase that comes up there that comes up four times in verses 1 through 11. It's, he says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. Uh, this can be literally translated as bent his heart away. Bent his heart away. That it comes up in verse 2, verse 3, again in verse 9, and we see it here kind of in the midst. I think it's the, the foundational understanding that the author intends for us to take away of what happened in Solomon's life. Well, how is it that your heart is turned from one direction into another? How is it that Solomon's affections and passions and commitments to the Lord were redirected in this way? Well, it happens the same way all things are bent. Slowly. Gradually. One wife at a time, not 700 at a time. So we see that Solomon gradually, slowly began to love what God hated. Gradually. Of course you don't immediately jump into the deep end and say, I, I'm going to just fully embrace everything that God despises. No, you're desensitized over time. What wasn't okay with you yesterday is a little more okay with you today. And what's not so okay with you today is a little more okay with you tomorrow. That's what we see in Solomon's life. Notice what it says in uh, verse 4. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, and was as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And then verse 6, So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Isn't it interesting? Now, the, the word holy here is not like high, set apart, in righteousness holy. This means holy, as in the whole person, the entirety of his heart with all of his affections, with all of his decisions, with all of his beliefs. 
that it began not by him abandoning the, the Lord outright, but by trying to share his heart a little bit at a time. By sharing his heart. Did you see that? That he in the beginning, you know, he's still mostly committed to the Lord. He's just got one more wife who loves one more God. So he's still mostly committed to the Lord. Not wholly, but mostly. And then one wife turns into ten, turns into a hundred, turns into seven hundred. And before you know it, that part of his life that is supposed to be committed to the Lord is not but a fraction of where his heart actually is. I'm sure he kept going to the temple. I'm sure he kept offering sacrifices. It doesn't say that he stopped acknowledging Yahweh altogether. It says that he didn't wholly acknowledge the Lord. He didn't wholly commit to the Lord. In other words, God had been compartmentalized to a small fraction of his heart while the rest of his heart fully embraced everything that his heart wanted to love. And before you know it, Solomon wasn't just sharing his heart. Solomon was selling out his heart, changing the direction of his heart so that it was completely opposite of everything that God loves. Isn't it interesting that the word that it uses to describe these other gods is an abomination? I think sometimes when we think about all the other gods that that the Lord is calling us away from, we just think of them as lesser gods than Yahweh. Of course, that's true. They are lesser gods than Yahweh. They're hand-carved images in the image of a man, out of the imagination of a man. And God is the painter of the galaxies and exists in highest, highest heaven. Of course, they're lessers. Deuteronomy calls him the Lord of lords and the God of gods. But they're not just lesser. They're immoral. They're, they're heinous, they're egregious, they're grotesque in the things that they call for the people to do. Let me just give you two examples. Ashtoreth, she was a fertility goddess, which means that what your livelihood, and I want to I be careful here, it depended upon her being aroused by the actions of her people, that she might send the rain that they need for the fertility. And so at her temple and in her name, all kinds of grotesque action took place between men and prostitutes and and the people so that they might somehow catch her eye and in her twisted, depraved mind, impress her so that she would send them the fertility. That's That's who Solomon's loving. Does that sound anything like Yahweh who just says, love me and I'll love you back? I'm committed to you, whether regardless of what, I'm going to make sure that if you'll just keep my law and uphold my, my covenant, I'm going to make sure that you have everything that you need. Does that sound anything like him at all? I mean, another one, Chemosh. He was, if you, we talked about him when we talked about Ruth. He is the god of the Moabites. You know what he demanded? He demanded human sacrifice. That you would come and you would offer up a child to him or an innocent person to him. So that in some way he would get some kind of sadistic pleasure out of it. And that is a reason that he would bring blessing into your life and upon your people. So God is looking to Solomon and he's saying, these are who you want me to share your love with? You want me, a faithful and good husband, to hand over my bride to a known abuser? That's what you want? I will not. I cannot do it. I wonder this morning who you're asking the Lord to share your heart with 
who you're asking Christ to share your affections with. I wonder if one television show at a time, one one game at a time, one private message at a time, one date at a time, one relationship at a time, one night at a time, if over time, gradually, your heart has begun to be bent away from the Lord so that now you find yourself opening up your mind and opening up your heart to that which the Lord would say is evil and will take you away from Him. I wonder if you can identify one inch at a time, one degree at a time, the bending of your heart in a new direction. Oh, what the Lord would have you to see, what the Lord would have you to see is that you are bending your heart towards your own destruction, towards your own demise. Solomon began to love what, he, what God hated and he stopped caring about what God thought. He stopped caring about what God thought. Man, there is a sentence for the generation that we live in today. That is a sentence for the 21st century church that we have, for, we have forsaken and stopped caring about what God thinks about anything that we do. Here's where I get that from the text. Look at verse 6. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made these sacrifices. So you see the, the emphasis here is on the sight of the Lord. And then from the sight of the Lord, you have this conversation about the high places. And then it gives us a clear geographical destination, the mountain east of Jerusalem. There, there's there's a, a picture being painted for Solomon, and there's a picture being painted for us that is powerful for what we're going through today. Here's, here's what he's saying. Do you know where the, the mountain east of, of Jerusalem is? That's, that's the Mount of Olives, if you've ever been there. Do you know what mountain the temple faces? The Mount of Olives. Solomon was the one through whom God used to build the temple that would guarantee his presence in the midst of his people. Where, where the people could come and be atoned for their sins and be reminded, see, right there on the mountain that Yahweh was with them and Yahweh's presence was promised to them and that Yahweh would not forsake them. What did Solomon do? The temple that was supposed to destroy all of the high places, this very same king began to reconstruct them. And he reconstructed them after gods that were an abomination unto the Lord. And just like most of the affairs that I know, it got to the place where he didn't even want to hide it anymore. Where he wanted to get caught. And so the last God, he says, he built there, right on the mountain that God's house faced. Literally, in the face of God. Literally, in the sight of God. As if to say, Yahweh, it does not matter what you think. It does not matter what you have called me to do. It does not matter what you desire for your people. It does not matter what you have called. I am going to do what I am going to do. I am going to do what I want to do, regardless of what you have to say about it. Right in his face. I wonder how many of you this morning have stopped caring what God thinks about your life. I wonder how many of you have given up even trying to conceal the sin. Now you're okay with it being known. 
sexual immorality has become normal. Living a materialistic life has become normal. Stealing time at work has become normal. Addiction and drunkenness have become normal. This morning, if you're hearing what I'm saying, if your mind is going to a sin you already plan to return to tonight, if you're already planning to go back and send that private message or that text to that person that you shouldn't, if you're already planning to return back to the pornography again this evening, if you're already planning to go back to work and re-engage in the sinful behavior that you were already engaged in this morning, the Lord is coming to you by His grace and in His kindness to call you back to say, bring all of those thoughts that have been desensitized by a depraved generation, desensitized by Netflix and gaming and all the people that you surrounded yourself with, bring those things back into this light of the cross, into the shadow of the cross. Because as you look up at the cross, what you recognize is that God deals seriously with the sin. And God doesn't look the other way when it comes to sin. No, God crucifies the sin. But as you come to the cross, it is an invitation that you could lay it down right there and find deliverance for it again. That you can find hope in Christ. That yes, God does not take our sin lightly, but God has provided a way through it through the means of the cross, through what Christ has accomplished, that we might be delivered from our corrupt desires. That we might be delivered from our reckless thoughts. That we might be delivered from our wandering hearts. Because if you keep going like Solomon kept going, eventually you lose what you had. Eventually you lose what you had. You know, I've, I've talked with people that have been on the other side who left a marriage, who left a relationship because they had fallen out of love. They thought there was more happiness that was out there. They thought that they could have more and be more normal and enjoy all the things that their friends seemed to be enjoying. But what most of them have come back to say almost to a person is it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. It wasn't as good as what I thought it would be. And I, I know of multiple people, they end up on, on the doorstep of the person's heart who they trounce, pleading with them to take them back. But it's too late. Trying to get more, they lose what they have. Trying to win the comparison, they lose the blessing that God had brought into their lives. And that's what happens with Solomon. That's what happens with Solomon. Solomon experiences an unexpected fall. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord and the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Twice. Think about that. Who in the world would think if you had a face-to-face encounter with the living God would for, on two different occasions that you would ultimately forsake him? But what we learn with Solomon is that intimacy with God today does not mean invincibility tomorrow from sin. No, 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 no. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are, whatever place you are in your faith, seek Christ anew today. Run after Christ again today. Do you love him honestly as much as you loved him last year? Do you love him now as much as you did five years ago? 
Do you love him as much now as the, the moment that you gave your heart to him? No, this morning, this morning, seek Christ anew. Come to Christ because Christ, Christ is anxious to receive you. He says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me and find rest. And y'all, that is not a one-time invitation. That is a lifetime invitation to return into the good graces of Christ to, en- to enjoy the, the wonderful abiding joy that he provides experienced an unexpected fall that left to an undesirable cycle. It says there in verse, uh, in verse uh, beginning in verse 10, he had, had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. You see, Solomon had received greater grace because of his father, David. Matter of fact, God says, even though you have done this evil thing because of how David loved me and because of how your dad loved me, I'm going to allow you to experience even greater grace now in your life. But your sons, your sons are going to continue to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Rehoboam, your boy, he is not going to experience what you have experienced. In fact, if you read the rest of 1 Kings, there is a cycle that begins here that is repeated time and time again. Such and such became king of Israel, and he did evil in the eyes of of the Lord, such and such, succeeded him and becomes king over Israel. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so what we see in Solomon's life is the establishment of a cycle within his family. And there is a place here. There is a place here for us to ask, what kind of cycle do we want to give to our children? See, when parents fall out of love, who suffers most? The kids suffer most, don't they? The kids suffer most. And when you fall out of love with Christ and lessen your, your devotion to Christ and your passion for Christ and your zeal for Christ, the same can be said. The same can be said. You intended to raise your kids in the church, are you? You, content, you intended to pray with your children, are you? You intended to point them toward Christ, are you? What kind of cycle are you establishing in your family? Are you establishing the kind of cycle that David establishes so that they can follow after you? Or are you establishing the kind of hypocrisy where they will look and say, it's not me, it's you? See, instead what they need are a mom and a dad who live wholly sold out to Christ and in love with one another that look back to them and say, no, it's not me, it's him. See, the irony here is that Solomon was the son of David, but he looked a lot more like Saul. Saul was impressive to the eyes, and so was Solomon. Saul was everything that you could want in a king. He was smart, he was charismatic and handsome. He was a a great warrior, and we can say the same about Solomon. But Saul's heart was not wholly committed unto the Lord, and he forsook the Lord so that the Lord withdrew his blessing from Saul. And that's what we see in Solomon. So what Solomon reminds us is that we were always waiting for a greater son of David to come. We were always waiting on one who was greater than men, but would become a man. The son of David that would be born to a manger, 
that would uphold the fullness of what God has asked, fulfill the law perfectly, and then give it to us as a promise. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.